the giant thinkers giant thinkers podcast hey guys welcome to the show i'm ram castillo and in this podcast i'm bringing to you top experts from various industries worldwide to learn from their success and to help us become better designers creatives and giant thinkers Hello Giants, Ram here. This is episode number 64. Our guest today is one of Shark Tank Australia's well-known investors on the hit TV show Shark Tank. She's also the founder of the online experience gift retailer Red Balloon, plus co-founder of the parent company Big Red Group. Fun fact, she literally had 25k in 2001 and started Red Balloon with a secondhand computer in her front room. Prior to that, she worked for massive brands, including IBM, Apple, and KPMG. If you follow her, you may have even read her top-selling books, Live What You Love is one, Ready to Soar is another, or have read her blog posts on LinkedIn alone, where she writes a ton of high-value articles. She has over 2.7 million followers. As she continues to pioneer the gifting experiences of Australia and New Zealand, she stands true to her motto, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Awards to her name include 2011 Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award and the 2013 Lifetime Achievement Silver Stevie Award. Some of the topics we spoke about include what makes a standout pitch, the impact of speaking clearly, simply and directly, how Shark Tank spreads innovation, and why blockchain technology and AI will be the main digital disruptors over the next few years. So if you're thinking about setting up a business or are at a crossroads on your entrepreneurial journey, then this is for you as we uncover what makes a business owner truly thrive. A quick one before we begin, do you use Instagram? I suspect you probably do. And if so, I invite you to add me on Insta as I'm doubling down and putting extra effort into that to give as much value as possible. In particular, answering every single comment and DM, I leave no message behind. So if you have a question or are feeling stuck and you think I can help, happy to give my two cents. I'm also committed to delivering some useful Instagram stories on the daily as well. So connect with me via my handle, the giant thinker. It's the fastest and easiest way to reach me. All right, let's dive straight in. I present to you the always smiling, passionate powerhouse in red, Naomi Simpson. Naomi Simpson, welcome to the Giant Thinkers podcast. I'm containing my fanboy excitement uh, under this deceivingly uh, professional tone of voice. I'm a huge fan. Oh, great. Huge Thank fan. You. So are the listeners. How are you doing today? I'm fine. <laughs> I'm really good. Beautiful day in Sydney. And to those listening, we are in the heart of the CBD where Naomi and I are based and uh, we are in the big red group headquarters. So thank you for carving out some time to chat. First off the bat, icebreaker question for you. Okay. This won't be a surprise, but it's no secret that red is your color of choice and you've absolutely owned that color, which I love because it's an extension of your brand and you're pretty much wearing red always. But listeners do want to know what other colors in your wardrobe do you have you know what's the ratio look like from from red to non-red it's funny because this season of shark tank when we were shooting i had all the other sharks just come over for dinner and janine went straight to my wardrobe and she's got a photo of her inside my wardrobe and goes guess where i am because it's just all red and apart from you know some jeans and a few jumpers there's really not a lot unless it's things that go with red like the gray or the black or the navy um so no it is pretty much red my favorite color is yellow love it yeah so red is, is not my favourite colour. I like it, obviously. But I founded Red Balloon and the name of the company is after a 1956 uh, movie called The Red Balloon. And it's about this story of discovery and friendship and it's a beautiful story. So that's how the business was named. And literally the reason I wear red is somebody said, you look really good in red. Is that because of the brand? It never occurred to me. And then I just started wearing red. And for women, you know, people, well, actually men as well, they kind of judge us on what we're wearing. So if you've got a uniform, it makes it so much easier. 
Great, and that's what I was just thinking. It's, it's effectively your uniform um, when, whenever you're, uh, you know, out and about. If you, if you were to Google Naomi Simpson, uh, you would find all but one or two on the internet where she's not wearing red, and it is the yellow uh, that I believe you wore during your wedding. Yeah, I got married uh, in yellow. Yeah, which fantastic. Is, yeah, which is great. <laughs> and, but even this morning, I was doing a speaking engagement, and you know, it's kind of a sea of grey. Um, in a lovely venue and so forth. And the speaker before me just looked at me and I said, you've got to give him something to look at. You know, he's wearing a grey suit and a this, and he goes, I don't think I'll look that good in red. But it it is, it, you know, we are, I am an entertainer. And so part of that is how I present myself. I mean, I think that's important too. Absolutely. I'm also an entrepreneur. I've got many titles. You do, and we're going to go through a lot of them uh, with the, this precious time that we have together. So where would you say then is your expertise? If you had to kind of pinpoint down to your one-liner of your expertise, what would you say that would be? I was given the gift of the gab. Perfect. And my mother, when I was a young girl, said, you can use that for good or for evil. And, you know, at the time I was thinking evil would be working out just fine. But when I say the gift of the gab, it means that I can string a few words together. She says in an interview, hoping she doesn't fall over her words. But that as a leader is a powerful tool to be able to align people, set the vision, be able to write. I feel very fortunate I was given the gift of language. Yeah, fantastic. And I think that's a lot of the, uh, the, the sort of appetite that people are actually seeking. Uh, how do we become better communicators? Would you say then that you were born with it to some extent? Were you surrounded by your parents who, who had that sort of linguistic paired with um, you know, confident communication skills? Um, or would you say that a lot of it had been learned on the job? So my father is an engineer okay. and I, my mother is a computer analyst. Not famous for their communication skills, either of them. And they um, wonderful, gorgeous people, but no, it didn't come from my parents. I have an innate sense of curiosity and as a marketer, like always being a marketer, the thing that I'm interested in is sitting in the customer's shoes. What does it feel like to be in your seat? So that ability to transport myself into another world gives me the ability to speak because I think what words do I need to use now for this audience? versus a different sort of an audience or a different sort of conversation. So the words that I use or the language that I use on TV is different than the words I will use with you now. But if anything, the feedback I get the most from the books that I've written is it's like you're talking to us. Mm. So I speak in a very plain language and it's easy for people to hear. You know, they say the reason why Neil Diamond was popular because he wrote The Key of C. Well, I speak in the key of C. I just speak in a very plain language that which people can understand. Yeah, and I can totally testify to that. As, as we were talking off air, I absolutely love your blog. You write the way that you speak, which I appreciate. Mm. Um, but let's take a little step back and maybe share to us a little about your childhood and, and how you grew up. You mentioned a bit about your parents, but can you share to us a bit of insight as to the childhood that you had? It's a very long time ago. <laughs> It was last century. I had a lovely, simple upbringing in middle-class Australia. And if you look at entrepreneurship, most of the great entrepreneurs are immigrants or they've come from somewhere else. And no, no, not me. I'm eighth generation Australia. I was brought up at the you know local school with professional parents. And so I am actually an oddity when it comes to the demographic of an entrepreneur. Though I did see recently in a Harvard Business Review study that The older you are when you start your business, the more success or commercial success you're likely to have. And there was a whole conversation about the value of experience and the school of hard knocks together, obviously, with maybe a more formal education. So my upbringing was I had two professional parents. So I had strong role models. And my father started his own business when I was about to start university. And I watched him as he went through the challenges of winning work and finding customers. In those days, there was just one phone line into the house and he had teenage daughters who were hanging on the phone. And he's like, I need customers to call me, get off the phone. So I watched firsthand the challenge of starting and growing a business and I was old enough to reflect on it. 
But my mum, she was working on one of the early computers in Australia for Monash University in the maths department. And then she progressed her career and worked for one of Australia's great entrepreneurs, Lindsay Canimal. She had a business called Aspect Computing. And my mum would drag me to her work events. And it was my normal strong female professionals. And mum would say, you know, if Lindsay can do it, Dale, you can do it. So I always had this feeling that anything was possible. I didn't know what that would be. I thought I was going to be an artist and paint. And that it, uh, but my art teacher promptly brought me back to ground and said, I can see you famous after you're dead. And I go, oh, okay, not that good then. <laughs> so I went on another course. But it was definitely my mum was a role model, but she was also my greatest challenger. She said, no, you need to go to university. You do. It is. And in those days, it was amazing because we had free education, you know. Thank you, Gough Whitlam. So I think everybody's still surprised that I've got a major in economics and some major in commercial law and accounting. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I often, in my own reflection too, my, my mum would say to me, uh, dream bigger and whatever it is that you want to do, you know, go even further. And I think with the conversations I've had with people like yourself on the podcast, it seems to be a very common thread throughout the self I think there's a difference between mm. dream and challenge. Mm. There's a whole Simon Sinek kind of thing going on around millennials. He's had some conversations that have gone a bit viral about the impact of our phones, but also of helicopter parenting. And I think as parents, our role is to challenge, is to set the values and create the parameters. And in some ways, you know, to prove our parents wrong, I can do it. So my parents were challenging, you know, really challenging. And you know, they would say, you're not like your sister, are you? You know, because she was clever at school and very talented. Thanks, Mum. Yeah. <laughs> and my friends at uni, they would call me dumb numb because I had blonde hair. And so, you know, I'm kind of still proving them wrong. So being challenged is not a bad thing. So I think we need to really meld the idea of kids can do anything, maybe, maybe not. But it is understanding their innate strengths. Mm. And our job as parents is to help them uncover that. And what I would like to see more is this real kind of urgency for persistence. It's right why I wrote the book Live What You Love is because I have four young adults in my life, our children, and I wanted them to make powerful choices about their career. Be really intentional. Don't have life happen to you. You create your life. But it's not in a dreaming one day, someday, maybe kind of thing. You know, if they really don't have the strengths or the aspiration, let's not pretend they do and be quite pragmatic about that. Yeah, perfect. This is actually right into the juicy bits of the episode. Now I'm going to dive into a quote that is on your homepage there, uh, naomisimpson.com. Upon landing, you're met with a quote that says, ideas without action are just pipe dreams. This really hit home for me, obviously, um, sharing a bit about it here, but no doubt to many listeners as well. So what's the rest of that narrative? By that, I mean never acting on your ideas and dreams. What does that mean for you? So I've lived by a personal motto of if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Mm. And I've lived by that for a very, very long time. And what that means is life doesn't happen to me. I'm very intentional. It also means that I be incredibly generous when and say, how can I help? And, you know, I run a team of 100 and it's not like I do their jobs for them. I don't even delegate, quite frankly, because delegation to me is an odd word. It's about this person is here for this role. They, they, they get to do their role. If somebody says, can you do this? But that's not my job. That's their job. So I would be undermining the respect of that role if I start doing their work for them. However, how can I support you? How can I help? What insights can I support you with? And I think that they're really different different things. So the preface of that quote is really if it's meant to be, it's up to me. Mm. If you want to have a rich, vivid life that contributes to humanity, you make it happen. It's not going to happen for you. Mm. So you can dream about changing the world. But if you haven't got the means, you can't change the world. It's mm. that simple. So you've got to be commercially successful to change the world, which you hear us talking about over and over again in Shark Tank, where people come in, I'm going to do great for society. No, you're not. Not unless you're going to be successful. So the things that have just popped in my head with what you said, the connecting those dots between the idea and the commercialization of that, and then in between that space, there's a whole lot of actions in there. 
but often I'm hearing from listeners and for those that always write to me and, and are seeking some guidance, how would you think one would find that bravery and that self-belief and confidence? Because I often find it's the whole getting off the couch thing. When, when you get off the couch, it's a bit, bit easier, but it's that bit the I won't start something because I'm not going to be world-class at it anyway. Or But everybody's not meant to be an entrepreneur mm. either and everybody's not meant to, you know, we're all on our different journeys and I think a lot of us do just bumble through and we're not, we're not being intentional about what are my strengths, what, are, what have I been put on the planet to do, being really curious and interested and asking yourself the hard question about when do I feel really in my power mm. and... And it's one of the reasons I wrote both Live What You Love and Ready to Soar because people come up to me all the time pitching ideas and they go, oh, I've got this great business idea. I go, yeah, but you might not be a great business person. So let's just look at you, you the person, and to go through the exercises. And, you know, a third of Australians at any given point want to start a business. They shouldn't. It's not the journey for everyone. But it doesn't mean your idea isn't relevant, but maybe it's not for you to run the enterprise or run sure, the business. Yeah. It can be really, really lonely running your own show and more fail than win. So doing the work. Mm. And I think that people kind of skip through observing. I see it more than anything now. People are so busy connecting, they're disconnecting, they're observing. Everybody else seems to have a better life than them and they're wondering why. Or they're comparing themselves and going, oh, they're having more fun than I am. Well, actually, no, it's you. You're the driver of your life. Do the work. Mm. The number of people who ask me, will I mentor them? I'm probably a crap mentor, so I don't think that's a good idea. But I, say, I, I doubt you, that. But have you read my books? And I go, well... Yes, no, and usually it's no. And I said, well, go and read them. And if you've still got a question, come back and ask me a specific question. And it's that preparedness to invest in yourself. And I'm very grateful that your listeners are taking the time to listen because that's an investment that they're making in themselves. But too often we kind of scoot the way through. We sit on the surface without doing the real work. Yeah. I make life sound so exciting, don't I? I love do it. the work. I love do it. The work. I, I was, I was propping up now here <laughs> for a couple of reasons. It's more about the self awareness, mm. you know, rather than getting caught up in the confidence or bravery piece. It's like, okay, well, we'll just get real with it. Mm. And it's also um, the mentorship side of things. We're going to just talk about one of your books that I love, which is Live What You Love. I have said this in many of my own content. My second book is actually Nomi uh, called uh, How to Get a Mentor as a Designer. So, and it is one of the biggest steps to building rapport. You don't just go ask and, you know, you wouldn't just knock on Naomi's door and go, hey, give me advice on starting a business. How broad is that? Without having read all your content, which is material that actually can help help There's a whole degree in there, seriously. They they don't need to do that. Now, it's interesting because you spoke just a minute ago about the voice, the voice, the self-voice. And in Live What You Love, Mm. I talk a lot about the power of positive language. And so do I have self-doubt? No, but I did. Right. Okay, talk to me about that then. Yeah, so when I was inside... How did you get from When I was inside corporates, I was always second-guessing myself because I would think I would say something, but they heard something completely different. Right. So then I had to learn that I need to ask, how did that land for you? What was your takeaway from that? And then I had to learn it to shift to the power of asking great questions versus telling. So the power of asking great question, it's absolutely a journey of discovery. And, you know, I've read many of the motivational skills, who are you not to be great and all of the rest of it. But the thing I think that works the most for me is to say, I know myself. I know I can count on myself to do my best work. Mm. It is who I am for all those people around me. Now, that's an incredibly powerful statement. Gave me goosebumps. Yeah. So, yeah. so we, often, we often don't do the service of speaking to ourselves in the language we want to be heard. In other words, we're, we're giving payment or we're giving voice to the doubt. Mm. And we, the doubt comes from often comparison. So I was really sad when I watched Mike Cannon-Brooks TED talk and he talked about his own self-doubt and this Mm. imposter syndrome and I go oh my god you can't have this I know who you are I've met you many many times and you're one of my icons and people I adore and you two Scott who's friends I love them both and I was just like really so maybe that's there but it's how we deal with it and how we overcome with it and you know I'm a professional speaker 
and I speak a lot to audiences and I know that I can count on myself even if everything goes wrong it's okay mm. I can do it and I think that that power of positive words and the positive language to just keep arriving with the right words the right message and know you can count on yourself and it's kind of like taking a shower isn't it you've got to feel that in you've got to practice your, your eyes your ears anything you consume yeah the people you're around the environment you've mm. got to feed yourself that don't you um and sound, surround yourself with the people that mm, you want to be surrounded by yeah. the right energy you know energy is really really important i think that's great amen to that so your book which is not the most recent one live what you love for me it, it tackled the collision of passion and purpose um and I found myself reflecting on questions such as, is your career where you want it to be? Does your life have meaning? Are you realizing your full potential? Those themes. But the connecting thread I found was that the clear choices bit, which you kind of elaborated already with the intentions, but can you elaborate on the importance of making clear and conscious choices? Yeah, it really comes from where your energy you've got to have the ability to stop and observe mm. and i think we're so busy on our phones we're not spending enough time in our in our thought processes and the time to construct good sentences you know dash 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 got to get it out versus the you know who was it that said i sorry i didn't have time to craft a short sentence i think it was oscar wilde or someone like that you know it was like i'm sorry i didn't have time well we've got to make time it's mm. really really important i think the most important thing is to you know put away the devices put away the phone get yourself a blank piece of paper which i talk about and live what you love and start writing down when you feel great reflect reflect whether it's a moment of meditation in the morning of what do i want to create for myself for the day and how do i want to feel do I want to feel a sense of accomplishment, pride, connection? What are the verbs? What, how is it that I want to have at the end of the day? And then at the end of the day, did I get that done? And maybe you just want to make a little point. I used to do, I used to just do the, you know, the kindness and the generosity thing and talk about what I'd contributed in the day. So it's a, it's a structure around that and it's a discipline. And I am very concerned that we're, both, we're all so busy racing and running that none of us are just stopping to truly experience life. How do you do that for yourself? Is there a practice or, or besides the writing, how do you take the time away? Do you schedule that in and dedicate, you know, that sacred time in whether it's yoga or going for a walk or active activities? It's all of the above. Yeah. I do yoga, I eat well, I um, walk the dog, I disconnect, I don't bring my phone. Mm. Uh, and it's because that would be like another person you're forgiven because you're using it for work. Um, but uh, so all of those things, but I need to practice what I preach as well. And I do a lot of experiences and I go, I'm with the people who I love and adore. And I, you know, we just took the whole of our business out to uh, Central Australia. Wow. To connect them to this mm, country, right. this land. The 100 team members, only three had been out there and I was one of them. And it's something they'll never forget. The Big Red Centre launching the Big Red Group's uh, kickoff meeting for the year. So I do practice what I preach. You know, I haven't got a perfect. Let's just be really clear about that. You know, I have good days and bad days like everybody else. Um, you know, people talk to me about ha having small children and starting a business. Mate, I can't remember a thing. It was just a big blur. Uh, I was just putting one foot in front of the other and hoping I was surviving. Uh, so, you know, let's... Hope for us all. Well, you know, that word <laughs> work-life balance is a crock, quite frankly, because if you are really trying to change the world, it's going to take more than nine to five. But if it's your calling and you're passionate, it's wonderful. There's nothing like it, the sense of accomplishment. So let's just not label ourselves, and we're very busy labelling things. And when you give up the labels and the names, I know I'm a pain in the neck. I know I drive people crazy. And the older they get, the less, the less I worry about it. Very good. It reminds me of our work-life integration, really. It's, we have one It's all life. together, isn't it? We just have one life. That's it. Yeah. And I just want people to work in a place where they can truly be themselves. Fantastic. That is a, it is a, it is a calling for me that it doesn't matter where you work, just be yourself. And, and I think that that's, that's wonderful. So we are going to talk about uh, the workplace and, and sort of the... the um, the way that you, you build build that culture that you intend. But before we do, I want to move the needle to starting an online business, which is a lot of the content that I've seen you put out recently. Uh, it's especially available online on LinkedIn. Uh, what are the, the do's and don'ts that you, you can share with us that come to mind 
when someone says to you, hey, Naomi, you know, I want to start an online business and they're sitting on the fence, what are some of the things that they should look out for? So why is it online? Mm. You know, it's the question to ask, or, you know, like way back in the when in 2001, there wasn't that many online businesses and I had the space to myself effectively, but nobody knew anything either. So we were all just muddling our way through, trying a few things and some things worked. I mean, I launched Red Balloon before there was Google AdWords. You know, it's like way back when. And people say, what would you do now? And I said, well, nothing that I did then. The question that you have is not whether it's online or whether you go to a market stall or whether you start a shop or whether you start a consulting business. The question is, who am I serving, why am I serving and how do they want to be served? And that might be online. Is it anywhere, anytime, anyhow? So it's not about the mechanism or the media. It is the who's my customer. So some people say, oh, I haven't got a Facebook page. Well, maybe your customers don't want to interact with you on a Facebook page. So don't start one. You know, if you're selling roofing tiles, they might not want to have an ongoing relationship with you with that level of intimacy, which is a very personal space. So it's about living in your customer's shoes, not whether I'm starting an online business. But online is really cluttered and it's really hard. Let me not pretend. Finding customers for your left-handed noodling device is harder than it's ever been before. So it's not, oh, I'll turn a website on and customers are going to come. It's not the way it works. So the way to drive growth is through advocacy. How do I get advocacy? Well, people who love and adore you and have an emotional connection with you. Mm. How do they have an emotional connection with you? They understand you. You, The product that you are delivering has a role to play in their life. Mm. So no what is the job I'm being hired to do? The word hired is materially important. It implies a commercial outcome. Mm. So it's not do I start an online business. It's who do I want to serve? How do I want to serve them? How do they want to be served? What role do I play in their life? And the mechanism might be online. It's powerful stuff. I'm sure they're all uh, noodling away on their... their Left-handed uh, devices. <laughs> on their devices <laughs> rather than doodling away. Um, so, look, we all know that entrepreneurs receive substantial value in the tank, good old shark tank, both from advice such as yourself, um, on top of the financial um, backing, of course. But if we flip that over... Not of course. For sure. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's in stone, isn't it? Yeah, Everything you see on television is just real. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I should probably probe that, <laughs> that a bit more. Um, but I'll, I'll finish this thought here. If we flip that over towards you, Naomi, what's the most valuable thing you've received from this experience of being on Shark Tank and, and being on the show? Oh, when a grandmother stopped me at the cricket and she was holding her daughter's hand, she goes, just so you know, because of Shark Tank, she's studying commerce. Oh wow! Yeah, and she How was in that? she was in year nine, and so they there's a whole lot of shark, kind of Shark Tank things that go on in schools, and you know I, I saw somebody literally last night, and she said, I talk to my child my grandchildren about business because they watch your show and they understand it, wow. and so when you have grandparents with seven year olds watching our show. And you're creating this conversation about innovation. Is that a good idea? No. Is when they yell at the TV, I think that that at being a role model in that level is just to broad Australia. Not the people who get to see me when I'm speaking. Not the people who write, read my books or my blogs. They never would have heard of me if I wasn't on free to air national TV. They yeah. would never have seen. And of course, we have lovely balance in our in our program you know with both Janine and I and we represent you know I don't have to represent 50% of our population nor does Janine we're just entrepreneurs mm. and so anybody who comes in we don't see their gender we just see if it's a good idea or not so um, yeah I think that that is a wonderful accomplishment but then again there's the other thing and that's the managing to have delivered 4.5 million customers to small businesses oh, around wow, Australia right? yeah so Red Balloon we support thousands and thousands of small businesses just by delivering them business customers yeah so Naomi it sounds like you've impacted a lot of families and, and the children of Australia especially in considering entrepreneurship themselves yeah. which is amazing um, in terms of the way that you now invest because of the show yeah has it changed your approach or, or the criteria with which you assess businesses now being pitched so many times and and seeing such a broad range yeah, of ideas. Yeah, one does get a bit jaded. Yeah. <laughs> and when people arrive and they you just kind of like you have to be the world's 
expert at your industry, your market, your business. And if you're not now, when are you going to be? So I think that that I still find alarming, but we are in television. And, you know, if we don't have the sublime, we haven't got the ridiculous and, you know, we need the contrast so that we have an interesting show. And I think that that's really important. But I'm looking for leaders. I'm looking for people who can take an idea, who can set a vision, align people with values, and whether it's their own team or people around them or stakeholders. I want to know that that person can really do it. So I'm looking for the things that I wrote in Live What You Love. I'm looking for their passion. I want to know that they've got that energy which is innate. I need to know that they're going to stick with it. Persistence is incredibly important in business. You have good days and bad days and some days I want to fire myself. But, you know, you have to keep showing up. I want to know that they're positive, you know, that they have the power of using good words, positive words. But ultimately, that they realise it's not about them. It's about what they contribute. It's about how they make the world a better place. It's about what they give, not what they get. And it's a very subtle thing, but I am always listening for, is this about them? Is this about what they get? Mm, And sometimes I get really quite offhand with people when they just don't even consider us in the equation. You're coming to ask for our money and you've not put your own money in. (laughs) So why is my money cheaper than your money? You know, it's easy to lose my money because you won't feel it. So the five of us, all of us are completely self-made. All of us came from nothing. We had not a cent to our names Mm. or not a cent that was given to us. And so we've worked for every single dollar, but we're not going to give it away. And so we're really, all of us are really transparent about what happens after the show. It is the date. That's the first date. And we need to know if we're going to get all the way to marriage. And that is a process of getting to know them, a due diligence process. And sometimes, literally the first meeting, they say, you know what I said on set? I was just joking. Or I was like, I thought it would sound good. Well, well, we're out. That's not the premise of the conversation. If you go on your first date and you lie to that person, it's not going to go a long way. (laughs) So we're very transparent. And the networks knows we've never hidden it. That if it's not a deal and if it's not the deal they said it was, or we don't think we can get the return after we get to know them, we're not putting our money in. And many, many times the deal changes anyway. So I might do a loan or a convertible note because then how do you get your money out, you know, unless they sell the business? And many of them don't want to sell. So it's a it's an ongoing conversation and that's what I mean. Our yeah. intention is, and I would never put up my hand if I didn't want to invest in them and I didn't see something. So it's not for television. It's definitely not scripted. I mean, you couldn't script that. For sure. So, so two things. Firstly, how many are you going through a day? And I know obviously you're, you're going to record in a big batch of over a couple of days or weeks or whatever it is, but how many are you listening to? We see only a couple minutes. So everybody's there for between an hour and two hours. Each pitch. Each pitch. We see between seven and eight pitches a day for three weeks. Wow. So they've got a little bit more refined. The first season we saw 100 pitches and 60 went to air. The second season we saw 90. The third season we saw about 80. And this season I think we saw about 85. So they need to get, as producers, they need to have enough broad different sorts of businesses to make really interesting TV and also interesting for us. But there's some that for they just hit the cutting room floor. They either don't make good TV or they say something that's not appropriate or right. or the audience wouldn't understand it. So there's a couple of things that I've seen in Shark Tank Australia as well as Shark Tank America where sharks will just automatically go out if they're not interested in, in their own sort of way of serving or if they're not interested in that type of vertical Mm. what would you say to those that you can clearly see that they have an idea and it's helping people and and so i'm just trying to find that fine line between it's so close for them to, to to get a shark and you can almost feel that tension it might be the editing of the show but it's almost like this shark is interested why aren't they going all the way? What is it? We can't do them all. Yeah. And we have no idea who's coming out in the tank. Yeah. We have no idea who's coming next. Sure. So you can't pace yourself, go, I'm going to do a deal every day. Yeah. One in seven. You can't do that because you've got no idea what's coming. So Lisa from Crooked Compass, she was the last pitch of the last day in season three. And she's pretty much the only one I really regret that I didn't do. Right. Oh, I was just tired. I'm just done. I, you know, so the poor woman, great business. And then you have to sit and go, right, what excuse am I going to make for not going into this one apart from, I'm really tired. 
which is not going to cut it with audiences. So hers was is still a valid reason, and mm. that's that she's, you know, she is the product in terms of her intelligence with her fabulous business, Crooked Compass, which is all about experience travel. So it's completely aligned to me. Mm. Why didn't I do that deal? So, you know, it can be frustrating as well. And sometimes I look and, like Andrew might say, oh, it's just not a business for me. And it's because we, we're going... Either our dance card's full mm-hmm. or there's something we see that we don't really want to say the reason why. Or, like, sometimes Steve goes, I don't like cushions. <laughs> Steve, really? You did that really well. <laughs> I don't. Really? Who doesn't like cushions? Or could you have some greater empathy for people who love cushions? But that's just what came out of his mouth on the day. It just is. So, um, and always having a different answer or a different reason Sometimes you just think, I couldn't work with this person. And that's a lot of it for me. Even though they've got a great business and a great idea, could I work with this person? Are they coachable? Am I adding any value? Or do they know everything already? We dance in the moment. Yeah. No, they're all golden tips. And I think it's important coming from you you know, directly. um, When they're walking away, it's often us, the audience, left wondering as to really why so that actually gives a really good insight as can't to, do them all yeah we can't do them all many of them are just um silly on their numbers anyway they really are but yeah. that's the show as well i mean it's the way it's constructed ask yeah. for a big number see what happens so yeah. selfish some people are just there for the promo we know that yeah <laughs> i was gonna say selfish question here but it's so entertaining to watch steve and you and janine and you know all of you guys just having really firm sort of personalities and and really clear sort of drivers between you all are you talking about steve and me fighting all the time he's very that too um i was gonna say you're very um considered when you talk basically no no his mind is on loudspeaker yeah yeah and so if he wants to say something, he'll say it. And sometimes it just gives me the shits. I'm sick of hearing going on and on and on. It's my turn. He does so a lot I of just, head tilt, does he? I don't. Yeah. Well, I actually do a lot of eye rolling, which I didn't realise as well. I do a lot of eye rolling, a lot of, you know, facial expressions and so forth. But um, he does. He, his mind is on loudspeaking. And if you think about his world of investing, which is what he does at River City Labs, when he's in that room, you know, he's the only guy in the room. Well, he's got. he's actually competing with us. We're competing against each other. So he just takes the airtime and he just gets as much airtime as he possibly can because he's going in his process. And he gets really pissy when I cut him off because he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the competition. And so his way of dealing with it is to put me down. And it's fine. I'm a big girl. And actually, I find it really amusing because... Uh, You're yeah, all friends at the end of the day, We actually you? all love each other very much. Don't <laughs> tell anybody I said that. We, um, we have a great deal of respect. Who would not respect each other? We mm. all came from nothing. Yeah. We all grew incredibly enterprises. We all va- add value to these businesses incredibly. Whether we give money or not, we give them our mentoring, our time mm. and our networks. Once you be on that show, life is never the same for you. Mm. And ask any business that's been on it. Yeah, no, it's great. And and certainly um, it's it's... It keeps a lot of uh, Australia very entertained. Um, I wanted to jump into a section in your LinkedIn bio where you wrote, the BRG's purpose is to shift the way people experience life and is at the forefront of digital disruption for experiences in Australia, delivering material value for business partners, its brands and stakeholders. So digital spaces and digital transformation is a huge passion of mine. Um, been in the design industry now for almost 14 years. and my question is, where do you think the biggest area of disruption um, is over the next few years? So the biggest area of disruption is blockchain and AI. Mm. And those two together and what that means for us is we will need to reevaluate where we add value to the process. Because you've got Albert AI. We've got Albert AI and he's transformed our business in terms of finding new customers for us, nurturing customers. He's wonderful. He's wonderful. But what's missing on the internet is trust Mm -hmm. and blockchain ultimately can deliver that trust. And that's when the world as we know it will be transformed and how we execute using that. So between Mm -hmm. trust and machines that can learn faster and execute faster than any human ever can. Yeah. I'm not worried about people's jobs because every time, you know, when cinema came, you know, that was going to do away with people's jobs and then there was television and there was, a, you know, so content, design, creativity, relationships, these can't be automated. 
So it's just, you know, the Dan Pink world about where is it that we add value. So the protection from disruption is about relationship. Transactions will be done in a very, very different way through AI and blockchain. And that forever will shift our world. And so therefore, I look at what we're doing of how we have an underlying way of doing business with people, but still adding the emotional connection on the top. We're still people doing business with people, and we can never forget that. Sure. And so for those that are probably more so unfamiliar with blockchain in particular, you mentioned a bit about that. What, can you help us understand how that is expressed into the real world, maybe how you're using it? We're not using it yet Yeah. Okay. <laughs> in our application but in terms of trust. But blockchain, I think it's much better people to describe it than me. In fact, there's a great TED talk on blockchain and understanding how it all lines up and every little piece and how, you know, it's supposed to be anonymous, but actually it's the most transparent thing of all time. And I think that that's interesting. What's more important for me is the fact that, you know, the reason why you go to your bank is because you trust them. Mm. Well, what happens if you know that actually the technology is unbreakable and is going to deliver the same level of trust? Therefore, transaction can happen in a different way. Mm. I have to transfer money to you via a bank right now but actually what happens if I can just there's no bank it's just bang from here to here and you have that currency so I'm not talking about cryptocurrency I'm talking about the underlying technology of blockchain and what that will deliver in a whole lot of different ways that we haven't even seen yet Mm. Um, blockchain is a security system that you think about how education I just want to do this piece of education here this over here but I need to get the authority and the security of it was a real course and I mm. really did that and it builds to an overall diploma or yeah. degree that is almost non-denominational, non, uh, non-specific in terms of tertiary institution. I think we haven't seen anything yet in terms of how blockchain is going to deliver safety, security, let alone mm. all of these things to do with biotech and all of the other things that are going on. Opportunities right mm. there. Now... I wanted to chat about this that you've mentioned in the past, businesses that look after the well-being of their people, stakeholders and community thrive, Mm. uh, which I love. Can you give some examples or initiatives that you're doing on ways that you keep your staff thriving? Oh, probably lousy. Don't ask (laughs) them. They probably think I'm hopeless. Um, So... You know, there's. I think the most important for us is that we have a clear sense of purpose mm. and people either attach to that purpose or they don't. I, I don't run a kindergarten here. I expect people to do their best work and mm. that they're challenged to greatness. But our job is also how we do work and it's our values that is the how. The why is our purpose. And when you bring that together, then I just want people to feel proud that they contributed mm. to something really worthwhile. And they go home feeling like a winner. Yeah. So everybody takes that in their own way. It's not about the moosey bars. It's not about the workspace. It's the, oh, my goodness. Being bags in the corner. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> it's so not. Um, and when you look at the you know the reports in the press about employee engagement and stuff, it's, people want to do great work. Mm. People want to work hard but they want to feel an outcome, recognition, and a sense of accomplishment, which is why we have the Ready.com platform, which is you know all about people shifting the way people experience life at work. You know, mm. So, um, yeah, we're really serious about that. Well, I, th- I think you nailed it on the head with articulating the vision, which a lot of companies can, can't even do. Yeah. So articulating the vision of the company is equally how the internal organisation can deliver the experiences that go outward into the market. Um, So I think that's a a really powerful point. Um, In terms of looking at the next year for you, next year, year and a half, would there be one or two main things that you would change, develop or implement um, in your business? Watch this space. Watch this space. There you go. That's all I can say. And that question's actually come from um, a good friend of mine um, who has been running an organisation for almost 30 years. and there are a lot of actual um, CEOs and, and leaders that listen to the show. So I guess, does it always go back to the vision? All of yeah. our greatest innovations came from our vision. Mm. So in the olden days, the vision was with the red balloon, when it was just red balloon, not the big red group, when it was red balloon, it's uh, we're changing gifting in Australia forever. Mm. We want people to experience gifting. And we, you know, gift different. You know, it was just absolutely all, all about that. And how did we know when we were statistically significant? Well, we've delivered 2 million. Well, now we've done 4.5 million. So I get 
that sense of purpose. But the innovations came from, well, if we're changing gifting in Australia forever, then where are people gifting? Well, we need to be where people are gifting. A bit to my point before mm. about starting an online business. Well, that means I, I found myself in a Target store buying an iTunes card for my nieces and nephews. Hey, this doesn't work. I should be buying a red balloon card. And that's when I went to my friend Lorna Inman, who was at the time the um, heading up a Target, and I said, how do I get gift cards into your store? And then we battled that out together and we worked it out. And that's why we're in gift, uh, gift card malls, is because we want to be where the gifters are taking place. And um, But what about people in rural Australia? Well, I don't have V8 supercars in Mount Isa, but I still want to serve the whole of Australia, not just the metro area. So I need to have experiences that are delivered to them. So that's where the experiences at home category came from. It's the same with experiences at work. Mm. So the that was the red balloon purpose and how it executed. And given that the Big Red Group, which has been around for a whole year, ours is the way we shift people's experience of life. Mm. So watch this space because that's what's driving innovation. How do we shift people's experience of life? Well, we can't do it just with the Red Balloon brand. We can't do it just with the Albert Mug Headaches brand. We can't do it just with the Ready brand. How do we do that? Watch this space. Very, very juicy uh, <laughs> cliffhanger right there. Yes. Um, so a few more questions before we wrap up, Naomi. Um, who has been an impactful giant thinker in your life? Um, someone that has inspired you to think bigger and dig deeper in helping you reach your full potential? Yeah, Vern Harnish was wonderful. He wrote the book Scale Up and Vern Harnish from Gazelles and he was coming to Australia regularly and I managed to meet him at the time that my business was just beginning to take off and I executed his program and that really materially shifted things. But I, I do read a lot and I read differently now than I used to. It used to be all about business, whereas now I find that I'm reading other interesting things. I love the book um, Boys in the Boat. You know, it's a wonderful book about connection. Um, the One Thing, I love that book too. I've recently read a book about influence and uh, understanding that influence, you can never convince somebody by using numbers and facts alone. You have to be in their world in an emotional way and the only way you can influence is actually through emotional connection. So I read incessantly and I literally have a top of the pops in that moment. They're my hero and then I've forgotten them the next week. So, you know, I read. Dan Pink has been part mm -hmm. of my journey. Malcolm Gladwell. Obviously, I adore and love Liz Wyman and her Multipliers book, you know. But they tend to be authors. And yeah. then I have, like, hero fans. <laughs> I'm like, they're my, they're my, you know, and then I forget and I move on to the next one, which is why I write a blog because I read so much and then yeah. I write, it, like, book reviews and stuff in there. And, and is there a mentor that you have right now that's really kind of in that pocket of helping you get to your next... I've never had a mentor and I've never had a coach mm. in the traditional sense. Yep. But what I do is I listen for gold and I never know where gold's going to show up. Fantastic. And it's, sometimes it comes from the negative as well as the positive. When somebody tells you how stupid you are. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. So this is a question I ask um, all my guests. If you could travel back in time for 30 seconds and speak to junior Naomi, perhaps the youngster finishing high school, what would you tell her? That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> LinkedIn, as you know, I write for LinkedIn. And they yeah. said, what would you tell your 22-year-old self, right? So this is not the okay. first time I've had this question. And then I started writing, mm. right? And I was like, well, there was this and this and then there was this and it ended up 72,000 words and that started as a blog post live what you love did live what you love started yep. as a blog post you know that blog makes post, sense a makes blog sense. post is 600 words and it was like gosh I wish I knew I wish I knew I wish I knew and because I have four young people in my life I dedicated it to them and ultimately you know for them starting out in their journeys but it's relevant for anyone if you are not in a place of power or you don't think you're playing your best game do the work ask the questions so that's quite funny because that's actually where that came from, from that, you know, what would I ask my 22-year-old self? Fantastic. The uh, The advice is uh, perfectly packaged in uh, how many pages is this? Yeah, whatever. But it's big writing. 363 pages. Um, <laughs> so what's next for you, Naomi, with everything you're involved in for the rest of the, uh, for the, rest of the year and beyond? Oh, it's a busy year. Another book? No, because you just released Ready to Soar. No, that, that's about two years. That's about three years. But three years, two years. This yeah. one is because I wrote this one because people come up to me all the time and pitch me an idea. 
And I must be responsible about how I answer that because if I just roll my eyes, they might stop it. Sure. And it's just because I didn't want to hear the idea right then, right now. Yeah. Um, or it might be that I say, well, that sounds good. And then they spend the rest of their life and all their family savings working on it because Naomi said so. It's actually a responsibility yeah. being a role model. <laughs> So I wrote this book because not everybody's made to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody's made to be a small business owner. It comes with certain, um, it's a, an emotional journey too. Mm. And not a lot of people talk about the emotional side of who am I in this conversation or, you know, everybody else is raising money. Should I raise money? And so, again, if people think they have a business idea, they read that. Absolutely. Read okay. Yeah. Uh, subtitle people who have started their business and they're beginning to wonder why. Yep. Mm. Um, turn your brilliant idea into a business you love um, ready to saw by Naomi Simpson how can listeners get in touch with you online via my blog is the, the best place really naomisimpson.com Naomi Simpson no P no yeah. not Simpson P. like the Simpsons no Simpson Simpson yeah. um, perfect and of course um, hugely active on Instagram um, which is how we, we got in touch and, and I've obviously connected with um, Naomi on all our other channels so Check her out. Uh, Naomi, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Um, the opportunity to be one-on-one -on -one with you is one that I don't take lightly um, and I'll cherish this for, for years to come. You're the first shark I've ever been uh, able to interview. Fun fact for everyone, including you, um, uh, Janine and I have been trying to tee it up for a while. Um, she was also on this month to be scheduled for me to interview, but um, we, we had changed our schedules. So she's a very, very busy woman, as, as are you. But I think it's just lucky we are both in the heart of the CBD here in Sydney, because I think Janine's from uh, Melbourne. She is from Melbourne. <laughs> there you go. And um, so, so you were the first. Great. Thank That's you great. And look how painless it was, Dale. We don't bite. We really don't bite. <laughs> Absolutely not. Look, you're a pioneer, and I am honoured to have had some one-on-one -on -one time. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in, Giants. I hope this has given you a ton of brain food and as always, plenty of inspiration. Please share this episode with a friend or a loved one if you truly think it'd benefit them. This is what it's all about. I interview these expert guests for all of us to learn and grow together. As you all know, I'm a massive advocate for designing better designers. The more designers we have, the more problem solvers we have too. You can forward giantthinkers.com to anyone and it'll take them right to it. Also, the Giant Thinkers podcast is now available on Spotify. So if that's more convenient for you to listen to, every single episode appears on Spotify now too. A little teaser for our next guest. It is with yours truly. I'm doing my first Q&A style format to wrap up the final episode of this year, 2018, and have been requesting your questions via social media over the past month. The submissions have included questions such as recommendations for working out what is truly important to each of us, advice for starting one's own podcast, Overcoming anxiety when speaking in public or presenting to clients? And how does one confidently charge what you really feel you're worth? That's only a few of the many questions I'm looking forward to giving my thoughts on. So stay tuned for that one in a few weeks pre-Christmas. For any questions regarding the podcast or anything at all, the best way to reach me is on Instagram. Send me a message via my handle, thegiantthinker. Lastly, I'll leave you with a quote that I loved from Naomi who said, be the world's expert in your industry, your market, your business, and if not now, then when?